I'd like you to turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. Pastor Connie continues our sermon series on hope by taking a look at how lament plays a part in setting our hearts on the right path. Let's listen together. The opposite of hope is, is what? What's the opposite of hope? Despair, I heard that. Hopelessness. Hopelessness, yes, okay, the opposite of hope is no hope. But what else, what else? Nothing? Okay. Well, I was going to say the opposite of hope is reality. <laughs> or fatigue. Or long-term suffering when nothing changes. That really works on against hope. And sometimes we think if we just knew uh, that this situation is going to change, we could hold on. But not knowing if it's going to change. It's really hard to hope in those circumstances. If we had a new reality that we knew was going to be a new reality, then we could adjust and we could manage. But hope really involves that clinging to the future for a change for the better, and that affects how we live in the present. We're in a sermon series entitled Dimensions of Hope in which we are looking at hope in the Bible. Do I even need to say why we are pursuing this biblical study? If there was ever a time when the whole world together needed hope, surely now is the time. We are grieving huge losses. We are all experiencing pandemic fatigue. We are going through massive social change, not quick enough for some, too quick for others. We're asking questions like, uh, are we going to have to adjust to a new normal or will it go back to the way it was? So how does hope work in this long drawn out ongoing process? Surely we know that we need, that the world needs hope, but the journey has been so long. Well, the people of, of Israel were in much worse shape than we are. Our passage today was written by the prophet Jeremiah who had already spent a fruitless lifetime bringing the word of the Lord to people who refused to listen over and over again. Near the end, when Jeremiah ple pled with the people of Judah to stay put and to submit to Babylonian rule and not to migrate to Egypt, which is the other powerhouse in their area to the south, Jeremiah begged them to give up their worship of false gods. He told them that their calamity was a judgment from God who had watched for years as they made their offerings to the queen of heaven and other idols. And God's people forcefully rejected Jeremiah's prophecy. They called him a liar and then they fled to an alliance with Egypt and they doubled down on their offerings to the queen of heaven. Because they said when they were in Jerusalem, they prospered when they made these offerings. So they thought their calamities came not because God was judging them, but because the queen of heaven was not getting her offerings. If you ever want to read one of the most discouraging chapters of the Bible, read Jeremiah, Jeremiah 44. And after this final rejection, God said in verses 27 and 28 of, of Jeremiah 44, I am going to watch over them for harm and not for good, 
All the people of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall perish by the famine, by sword and famine until not one is left. And those who escape, well, we see that there's some who, aren't, who are gonna escape after he said not one will be left. And those who escape, um, where am I? The sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, few in number, and all the remnant of Judah who have come to the land of Egypt to settle shall know whose words will stand, mine or theirs. So we will see who is lying when my words spoken through my prophet comes to pass. Terrible devastation ensued, wave after wave of war and conquest and slavery and death and hunger and famine, much, much worse than the pandemic we are living through. They would have wished to live through a pandemic if they were given a choice. They were given opportunity after opportunity to turn back to God, their rescuer, and they consistently refused with the most vocal, the most in-your-face rejection of God who still loved them, who had bound himself in a covenant to them, who reached out to them through his prophets. I really, really wanted to show you some football on TV this morning because it is football season, and I had a play selected, but we could not get the video to work with uh, technology. Anyway, so the play is a preseason game of the Colts and the Panthers, and Benny LeMay, uh, a Colt, dragged, I don't know if you saw this, dragged the entire defensive line of the Panthers 15 yards to get a first down. And then a yellow flag went down. He pumped his, he went like this a couple times. He went like this with the ball, tossed it over his shoulder. He went like this a couple times. That's in my mind what he did. But he was penalized for taunting, taunting. They're really coming down this, this season on taunting in football. And he got punished for it. His whole gain was erased. He got a 15-yard penalty. It's as if nothing had happened. And people were up in arms over it. I don't know if you saw that. I so wanted to show you some football, but I just have to describe it today. But let us be clear, the people of Judah were not penalized lightly. They were decimated by war and, and famine. Their disobedient, their flagrant and vocal refusal to acknowledge, much less worship and honor their own God. This was blatant sin against God himself. And taunting the prophet was just the icing on the cake. And God gave them chance after chance, and then he had to penalize them. When we suffer unjustly, of course we can turn to God who upholds justice. Any person who has been oppressed can turn to God who sees the oppressed and is against the oppressor. When circumstances out of our control pound us, of course we can turn in prayer to the God of power and the God of love. But can we reach out to God when we are receiving the consequences of our own sin? When we have gotten ourselves into trouble? When suffering has swallowed us and some of that suffering is deserved, can we pray for relief then? When we finally see and we come to the dead end and we realize there's only one who we can turn to, only one who can save us, can we pray to God for relief? 
when we don't deserve it, can we have hope? The answer, mercifully, is yes. Yes. Even when we have brought it upon ourselves, even in times of personal or collective or societal or systemic sin, even then, and especially then maybe, we can turn and we should turn to God. And the language of lament shows us how, when things are bad, whether they're deserved or undeserved, how we can speak to God when things get worse. The prophet Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations after he had lived through that horror of war and conquest. And it's a bleak book. It's an unrelentingly bleak book, except for the part that we're, some of the part that we're gonna read today. So look for that silver light, sliver of light at the end of the tunnel. But first, we're going into a dark tunnel. And before we read, you should know that the Book of Lamentations are spoken from the perspective of the daughter of Zion, except for this chapter that we are going to read. This chapter alone is sp spoken literally in the voice of a strong man, a military man, a defender of women of, and children, another non-combatants. And so it gives a little bit of a perspective to this chapter. The suffering of the people is described as though it had happened to one man. So we're in Lamentations chapter three, verse one. I am one, and that word one is really that word for strong man, military man. I am the strong man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Against me alone he turns his hand again and again all day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away and broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me sit in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. You know, the Assyrians, that was their form of punishment when they took prisoners. They would put them in an enclosed space and wall them in. And it meant a sure death to that person. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has put heavy chains on me, though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He led me off my way and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a mark for his arrow. He shot into my vitals the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all my people, the object of their taunt songs all day long. He has filled me with bitterness, and he has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me to cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory. Gone is all that I hoped for from the Lord. Are you feeling a little low? Now a little dragged down? Is there a metaphor that this writer has not used? Physical body descriptions of pain, encirclement to the point of enclosure where the sufferer is claustrophobically closed in, walls to trap, walls to silence, to cut off, even to the point of not, not having a space for a prayer to escape from that wall. Animals of prey close in, enemies close in to destroy. Does it bother you that all of the violence is put on God? Did you catch that? God is the bear, God is the archer. 
He is the jailer who entombs the victim alive. He causes the disease. It's really hard to hear this. And yet, when we are in extreme pain, and we know that God could just stop that pain with one simple word from him, one touch from him, and he doesn't stop the suffering, don't we start to feel that God is ultimately responsible for our suffering? A lament allows us to speak the unspeakable. There's violence in this section. There's loneliness. It ends in hopelessness. This is the word we're tracing through this chapter. That Hebrew word used in verse 18 is one that speaks of expectation. So there's nothing more to wait for because nothing good is coming down the line to me. It's total abandonment. And I'm glad we have this lament and others in our Bible because it describes our real feelings and our real experiences. And we are allowed to cry out in our pain, to cry out to God, and even to cry out against God. Even to the point of accusing God of acting against his character, of placing God in the position of being our enemy. It is so important to be able to say out loud what we are thinking and experiencing, even when it sounds a little bit blasphemous to our ears, even when it's scary to say, we need to name the suffering, we need to recite the wrongs done to us. For people who have gone through trauma, it's this piece, just the safety to be able to say out loud what actually happened, how they were hurt, that getting to that part takes a lot of time and a lot of trust. And then they need to repeat it over and over again more than anyone's comfortable hearing. Are, it's important to speak it out, to get it out. And our writer does not hold himself back. He gives himself permission to say what he needs to say and not have to put it into acceptable language not to have to put in faith or hope in there that rings false, not to give God a pass. And amazingly, God is plenty big enough to take our anger and accusations. When we arrive at that point of hopelessness and despair, and even beyond that point. Our writer continues in verse 19, the thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But, verse 21, this is the most important word of all of the book of Lamentations. It should be highlighted. It should leap off the page. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now, three verses ago, he said he had no hope. And now, he says, therefore I have hope. And this hope and the two that follow are the same, are a different Hebrew word from the first one, but these three are the same, coming from a root that means fatness, loin, trust. I have hope, verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Why don't we say this together? His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We, we have that 
in a song. And that's why we know that great is your faithfulness. Instead of he, God becomes you, great is your faithfulness. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my sorrow. Therefore, I will hope in him. There is hope again. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait. And that word wait in verse 26 is hope, the same hope word. It is good that one should wait, hope, quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for one to bear, where are our young people? It is good for one to bear the yoke of punishment in youth. What do you think about that? To sit alone in silence when the Lord has imposed it, to put one's mouth to the dust, there may yet be hope. This is a different hope word. This one comes from a root, meaning literally a cord, an attachment. There may yet be hope. To give one's cheek to the smiter, to be filled with insults, for the Lord will not reject forever. Although he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. Well, that's not what it sounded like earlier in the chapter. When all the prisoners of the land are crushed underfoot, when human rights are perverted in the presence of the Most High, when one's case is subverted, does not the Lord see it? And the answer is yes, the Lord sees it. The Lord sees that suffering. So there it is, a magnificent expression of faith in the unfailing mercies of God. Three verses after the writer said there is no hope, it's all gone. Remembering the true character of God brings hope back to him. God's true identity is not abusive or wrathful, but characterized by great mercy. He is not deaf to please or blind to injustice. He hears and he sees. His compassion is as abundant as his steadfast love, and his steadfast love is new every morning. It will never run out. Amen. This view of God's true character is placed side by side with repentance and humbleness as the posture necessary to receiving God's help. So notice that in verse 37 and forward. Who can command and have it done if the Lord has not ordained it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should any who draw breath complain about the punishment of their sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts as well as our hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. And you have not forgiven. Oh, no, we're got. No, we went back to the beginning. Aaron, we have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. What happened to the forgiving God who does not reject forever? You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself in a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. What happened to the God who hears our prayers? 
You have made us filth and rubbish among the peoples. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. Is he going to? My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the young women in my city. Those who were my enemies without cause have hunted me like a bird. They have flung me alive into a pit and hurled stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Oh, praise the Lord. God is hearing. Now we're over here. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry of help, but give me relief. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. Another wave of judgment and punishment followed this time by the assurance that God does indeed hear and rescue. And it keeps on going. We're not going to read the last paragraph or so. The chapter does not end well. Let me just say that. The sufferer asked God, now that you're listening, God, can you curse my enemies? Can you bring down hellfire and brimstone on all my enemies? I mean, is this what a forgiven person is supposed to sound like? It's problematic. And then the next two chapters of Lamentation continue in, in an unending litany of wrongs and woes. And the last few verses of the whole book are directed to God. Verse 22 of chapter 5, restore us, is the plea. Unless you are angry with us beyond measure, dot, dot, dot. Is he or isn't he, dot, dot, dot. It just leaves the character of God in question. And so what are we to make of this? Can we hope in God or not? Well, it does show us that the pathway of hope is not easy or smooth when we are in deep troubling. Hope waxes and wanes depending on our circumstances. So to me, this is what the book of Lamentations looks like and teaches us. Teaches us, be honest. Tell God everything, the parts that aren't flattering to you, the parts that aren't flattering to God. Tell God about the bad and the worse. And then remember God's past goodness. Think back, remember. Repent and be humble. If you have taunted God, ask for forgiveness from your sins. Once forgiven, Refuse to wallow in shame or guilt. Just know that there are cycles of hope. Just know that because we feel hopeless now doesn't mean that we will always feel hopeless. And just because we feel hopeless about God doesn't mean he feels hopeless about us. And when we're able to let us dare to hope. And yet, I still dare to hope. This is the middle verse of the middle of Lamentations. And yet, I still dare to hope 
When I remember this, let's say it, let's say it all over again together. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Let's bow in prayer. Well, God, we recognize this roller coaster in our own lives of hope, the ups and downs of feeling hopeful. And when we especially need hope, when we are the farthest down we can be, that's when it's hardest for us to feel hopeful. So God, I pray for any who is down in that pit, Lord, that they will remember your true character and dare to hope. And I thank you, God, that we can cry out to you and you hear us, even when we don't feel like you're hearing us. I'm thankful that when we are running against you, when we are sinning, when we are um, taking a stand in opposition to you, and we come to our senses, God, that it is not too late to hope in you. And I pray, God, that as we go on this journey, that we would encourage each other that when one of us is down, another one of us will have hope for that person. That's why you gave us the body of Christ. So thank you for this body here. And help us to share honestly with each other Help us to share honestly with you where we're at and help us to help each other as we wait for rescue from you, the God we dare to hope in. In your name we pray, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.